leftovers. Or the DMV. Or house cleaning. Or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. The Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the midcourt strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe from way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan. Yes! It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to the premiere of Season 5 of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and with me, my co-host, a two-time now FBC alum, the top student at the Sports Business Classroom this year, and a future NBA intern at next season's Summer League, and also the NBA Twitter celebrity, Corbin Ford, has uh, has graced us with his presence. Corbin, oh. how are you doing? <laughs> oh, my God, bro. You are too much. <laughs> <laughs> I am good. I appreciate it. I am humbled to be on an amazing show with you. As always, Garrett, you already know. I thank you for the opportunity. I'm, I'm excited. I'm pumped. You, you know how I am. I'm ready. I was, I was, you know, half expecting just to receive a, a pretty cold, casual text from you <laughs> saying, I'm just, I'm just too big for you now. Oh my but gosh. Just, never that. Get out of here. <laughs> You're a mess, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will say it was a pleasure finally meeting, hanging out with you as short a time as it was. We should have made it so much longer. It was a lot of fun there. I, had a, I just really enjoyed it and it makes it so much cooler now. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's going to be at least the, the starting content of this episode. Corbin and I are going to discuss uh, his his experience with, with SBC in person. Of course, he did the virtual SBC last year. We're going to talk about uh, the, the summer league that uh, I got to experience for the fourth time in person. And, uh, you know, Corbin, of course, got to watch some of the games with the class being as as uh, jam-packed of a schedule as it was, probably didn't get to see as much as you wanted. But, I mean, first off, you know, you're ex- experienced in the SBC world. You had taken the courses again and, and met some of the instructors and stuff online last year. But how did the in-person experience, uh, you know, how did that match sort of your expectations going in? 
I, I feel like it augmented it for sure. Being able to actually see folks I communicated with, you know, Eric Pincus, for example, you know, I've been in his discord for a while talking to him, but to actually see him was totally different. Uh, Dave Dufour, same thing, you know, someone I communicate with for, for a while, but to be able to, you know, see him in person was different. Um, Larry Coon, it was just really cool to be able to make those connections in person. I always tell, you know, people, it's a joke among myself. I tell both friends and potential dates that I'm always better in person. Like, it's just <laughs> different, you know? And so to be able to, like, do that was great for me. Um, really enjoyed that. The atmosphere I, I wasn't ready for in terms of the whirlwind type of feel that it was and so much going on and just blinking you miss it type stuff. That was a lot. But it, it was it was a blast. It was a blast. I really enjoyed it. And I think I got a lot out of it in terms of um, connections, because that's mostly what I, I thought was most important. I learned about scouting definitely um, in a different way, you know, watching the game in a different way, which is helpful as always. But I think for me, the, the personal connections and relationships, those are what I value. And being able to meet people like yourself, um, it was so many. It was just so many folks. My friend Lawrence, my friend Eric Spropolis, my friend Simon Sheridan Gordon. I mean, I can go down name dropping, but just in terms of people that I've been wanting to meet for a while, that this was the opportunity to do that was great. It was just, it also passed by like super slow and also way too entirely fast. Yeah. So your classes, as far as I'm aware, had about 61 students, which was right around what I had back in 2018 when I went. Wow. Um, but uh, one of the things that uh, just from my recollection of the week is again, and 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 your week was actually a little bit more condensed. Your SBC schedule was, I think, one less day than, mm-hmm. than mine was. But one of the things that was so challenging is you want to meet everyone over the course of the week because all these people are just as passionate and knowledgeable about the sport that you love as you are. And and for me, coming from Ohio, there's just no one here that cares about NBA basketball at all. So it was, you know, being in, in a candy shop, essentially. Having the pick, that's true. It was, we, I mean, you're right. The conversations, the deep dives that I have with you on the show or something was like comp- comparable to ones I was able to have um, over at SBC. And it's crazy that, like you said, have those types of conversations just in regular. Like, no, this is what it is. Like, this is just us talking hoops and going deep in the weeds because that's what we do. I agree. It was a lot of fun. So yeah. How do you, how do you feel in terms of your, well, and obviously you, you had success being named top student, but how do you, <laughs> in terms of uh, the, your ability to, to network and get around and have these conversations with, with another 60 people and be able to, hopefully you, you'd want to, talk to these people multiple times and really, you know, build up that rapport. Oh, 100%. That was kind of my main goal. I said, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to give 110%. I'm going to justify, you know, obviously the cost it was and just in general, how much I sacrificed to like make it to this program, give it all I have. That was like the main goal. Um, But also to make connections, to make friends, you're with these people. We're all in here for the same reasons. You have a whole network and pool. You know, I had, I'm, I'm blessed. I've had, friends like yourself and, and friends like Simon and, 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 and um, past alums, you know, Connor L and Will Pennington, others who I formed connections with, despite not being in the same class, but through the program or, or at least um, periphery to it. So I was trying to have that same connection with people who were in the same class myself. And it was cool. We had actually a few people who had come to this one that had went to the virtual one with me um, with the same mindset that the virtual was nice. And that yes, I'm an SBC alum in name for that, but like, I want to have the full real experience. And, um, it was really cool to have that, to make those connections. I mean, everything else was like, 
giant icing on a cake that I didn't even expect. Um, so that was a lot of fun and also like surprising to like to witness like that experience, but like it, it made it more enjoyable because I wasn't going there for that. You know, I was really going there to get the most out of, um, to get the most out of, um, my experience and to make sure that I had a pipeline of, of friends I could talk to. Hey, you're in town. Let's do this. Hey, you know, you want to get on a podcast? Let's do this. I'm actually going to have a, um, one of, um, my fellow alumni are going to be, um, it's coming, coming on my show. And it's going to be his first podcast. And I'm really kind of paying it forward to like what my friend Alex and what you did and Eric's problems before me and helping someone get into the podcast game by like giving them a few reps and get on the show. And, you know, that sort of thing, that's what really means a lot to me. Um, and so that's what I was really excited to be able to do, but like, we, it was, it was a lot of fun, man. I mean, even scouting Obi Toppin, which was probably easily the most frustrating thing I did all week was was fun in the context of like having to do it with friends you know exactly yeah we got to watch uh watch a, a pretty good obi Toppin game together which was uh, one of the highlights of the week um and and yeah i i completely agree with you that one of the one of my favorite elements of it was yeah making those connections and through my podcast i've been able to maintain a lot of those connections as well and keeping in touch with those people and and yeah i've had a lot of a lot of first-time podcast uh, guests on. They'd never done it before, but had a good time. And now they've probably been on three or four times and are getting the hang of it. So that I love it. Yeah, that's a blast. But also, you know, one of the things I was curious to talk to you about was, and and one of the things that maybe I struggled with a bit. And we've talked about this off off the air of a few times in terms of your experience last year with the with the digital SBC where you got into these chat rooms with your, you know, your professors or your teachers or whatever, your Dave DeFores, your Larry Coons, your Eric Pincuses of the world. And the, the challenge of, you know, when I, when I saw those guys in person, I'm much more comfortable in sort of a one-on-one conversational setting, but I never got that with those, those people because mm-hmm. you've got, you know, a, another dozen students that want to talk to them at the same time as well. And you mentioned that with your, you know, your digital sort of chat rooms where you've got a, a ton of people that are trying to get that FaceTime, trying to get noticed by those guys. And there's that that fine line of trying to strike a real connection with those people that have that are currently in the NBA while also not sort of being a suck up and, you know, kissing their ass. Yes, yes. I, I still try to balance that. Like you said, it's like, I have this like passion already, you know, talking to anyone about basketball, you know, there's love for it. And I, I do hold people in certain pedestals in terms of, I want to be like that type of person in terms of their content. So I'm very self-conscious about coming off like someone who like is kissing up. You know what I mean? I have the privilege of meeting Nick Duncan. I have like this MP3 with like a bunch of my favorite pods that he's done that I listen to um, just to have on like while I'm working out or whatever. And I'm like, dude, I told him about like, it's so dope, but I, I did. And I'm like, I almost immediately regret it. I'm like, geez, that's kind of, kind of comes off like too strong. It's true. It's authentic, but you don't want to come off like you're too over eager. You just want to come off authentic. And I think I wanted to bounce off that excitement I get with like keeping it in stride, but also not coming off like, I don't know. I, I didn't want like to come like off like, a, you know, you don't want to come off like you're a fan, even though technically like we are, we are exactly fans. that. And that's the struggle. You really don't, even though that's what we are. And at the same time, I'm not trying to come off like, we're peers because no, I want to get where you are. I don't consider myself a peer. I consider myself like an understudy in the way that like, I want to get to that level and not in any sort of issue or anything like that, aside from just, I want to be there. You know what I mean? 
Um, and so that is something that I think about a lot in terms of like how to make that balance. What I've really just tried to do is just be here. I am, you know what I mean? I'm pumped. I'm here. I'm excited. Let's go. And let the chips fall where they may. And then in a certain extent, like if I do feel I'm going too hard, you know, I usually have, I think at least I have a decent awareness of like, okay, let me slow down a little bit. Let me not go super fan overall out on this or that or the other. But like, even when I, okay. When I example, when I first had the privilege of being on a podcast with you, having listened to Shaw, I was like a super fan of the type of content because I was like, dude, deep dives. Like, this is what I love to hear. You know, long discussions. It was like the five part Jordan LeBron. I was like, yes, <laughs> but I didn't want to go like, Oh dude, you know, I love all the, and I ended up doing it inevitably, but like, I didn't want to go into it like going off as if I was trying to go too hard on a certain way. I just wanted to be real for what it was. And I think that people, it's almost a play on words for the ones who don't mind don't matter and the ones who matter don't mind or whatever. But like, I feel like people will see it. Like they could see if you are being like, you know, fake or, or that at least I try to hope that they could see if you are being real. And for the most part, like my intentions, I feel like my intentions are always as honest as I can make them. And then for the most part, they've been interpreted that way. But I'm with you on that case. It is, it is different in terms of managing that type of, like you said, how much is too much. And also like, well, we are fans of your work. And then, uh, yes, you get this a lot of, from a lot of people, but like, you ain't never seen a fan like me. Like that's that sort of like balance there, you know? Well, and I, th- I think you did the balance well, given that, you know, the, the, uh, the, the day after I left, I see on Twitter, Dave DeFore calling himself the, the Corbin Ford fan account. Uh, whereas, uh, oh, man. I, feel like, I feel like with me, I went so far, like trying to avoid coming off as fake and, and kiss assy that yeah. I just was not memorable at all because I barely had conversations with him. I see what you mean. Yeah. It, I see what you're saying. It's hard, man. Like I, I had, I had a lot of fun. That was, Dave was hilarious. Those guys were hilarious. And I did have, it was, I had a fun presentation. I think that's, I had a really uh, funny presentation, but just having fun with it. And even that approach I think did well, because I mean, at the time, just kind of going to SBC, you know, it's a great experience, but like in terms of the mindset, you know, everyone's trying to go there, get the most out of it. And we had a, a practicum, you know, like a mock trade deadline we're presenting. Um, we're trying to go, you know, trying to go in depth and we're in front of a panel of like Sean Respert and Ryan McDonough and Seth Park now. Like, that's quite the who's who of, of, of people that you're like, oh, my gosh. Like, you know, I remember us by not from, like, watching too much, from just from reading and knowing his story. Of course, we all know Ryan McDonough. Of course, Seth Parnow is on The Athletic. So, like, you're like, oh, my goodness. But I remember, like, personally, like, on the one hand, yes, I'm big fans of them. But at the same time, I'm looking at these presentations. I'm like, okay, you know what? Like, this this seems a little bit of levity. This seems a little bit of humor. And we're just going to do it. And we're just going to see what happens. Like, if it works, it works well. And if it doesn't, okay, you know, we're, we're not actually GMs here. So, there's balance and I went and did the presentation. My team did an amazing job putting it together and it, it, we pulled it off. We pulled it off. I mean, we made two moves probably, um, you know, and, and we have like wrapped it. I made a Lion King comparison in there. Um, my mama's biscuits was brought up. Like it was a lot of stuff in that presentation, but you know what? Ultimately we, we had fun and we enjoyed it. We did well. And that's what, that's my ideal goal. Like check, check, check. We did well. We had fun everyone's happy you know i'm still one of those people who believe that can still be possible um and at least for a week i was able to prove that again absolutely well yeah and i don't think we even did like sort of a concluding presentation to try to uh you know um, make one last big impression with anybody we kind of just at the end had a get together and maybe had another couple of classes and then we're basically like well the we're gonna give out the awards and that's that but um yeah so 
I guess my 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 next uh, question I had for you was, you know, again, getting to the fact that SBC is right in the middle involved in in summer league. Uh, and, you know, you guys are operating pretty much right inside Thomas and Mac in the red room, I believe is what the area is. Yep. But, uh, you know, how much do you feel like you actually got to experience the, the summer league vibes and, and getting to go watch the games and, and having enough energy to, to just be able to enjoy that since this was also your first time at summer league too, correct? It was. And honestly, that part made it very interesting. Um, I feel like having done it, and maybe this is something that, well, feedback-wise, I'm definitely going to be able to, to give. Having done SBC, at least virtually, I didn't know what was going to be different from virtually and the immersive experience. But the content was fairly similar, in which case that was great, but I'd already done um, a, a decent portion of it. So what I would have, what I would recommend more than likely is is maybe if you've done certain classes or whatever, that you have the freedom to like go out during the day and you know, pick and choose which ones you want if you've already experienced the full program. Um, right. Because it was, the instructors were tremendous. I did have a tremendous amount of content at my disposal, but some of the information I'd already kind of known from the previous one. And I could have spent that time more like going out, you know, hanging out with you and others and networking there. Um, as it was, the day basically started off with like a full course load of, of work and content and material. Um, and then it ended with us being able to watch some of the games. So I probably, even though we were like immersed in summer league, and we most definitely were, we were, there were moments we were pulled up and able to go into stands and such. We probably watched games for like, I'd say the last four hours, which is fine, but there's a whole, you know, slate of games all day. It's not like I can pick and choose what I want to watch. It's what's on at seven. Now, fortunately there were some primetime games, Rockets, Cavs, uh, Rockets, Pistons being one of them, but at the same time, it would have been cool to have had some more uh, versatility in that. So I, I kind of feel eh, kind of in the middle on it. I, I think that I definitely could have watched a lot more games and enjoyed a lot more of that, but I did have a great experience. And I think being in the room, making more of an impact there is what helped me to kind of get what I didn't getting. So would that have been more uh, achievable or would that have been ha- comparable if I hadn't been in the room half the time? I don't know. You know what I mean? So yeah. it, it's like a give and take there. But personally, I think maybe to get more of the actual game experience out, I, I having more freedom there would have been nice. Yeah, and I remember too. You you mentioned that like yeah, the the class goes on starting at like eight in the morning and goes on through the early evening. Then you get dinner, and by the time you're probably done with that, you've got uh, you and you and uh, in particular had like scouting of that you had to do during the game. So it wasn't even like at times of full ability to just relax and and watch. You actually still had tasks. But uh, I just also remember, you know, especially with they had the the morning get togethers with with Larry at like 6 a.m. Uh, the, that the late too, night yeah. sessions with Eric Pincus at like around 11 or midnight. So it's like, you know, do I just want to go back to the hotel and get like a couple hour nap before the late night hang? Uh, I just remember being pretty exhausted. And, you know, as as you know, both of us are very, very much like hardcore basketball fans. It's not, you know, watching basketball isn't a passive experience. It's a very active sort of activity. I agree. So, yeah, I I just remember not really having, having the energy to want to watch the games when I did the class, whereas that's been one of the nice things about just going to Vegas specifically for the summer league 
uh, is just the ability to, okay, I'm going to devote most of my effort and energy into the games. And then also I can sort of network and, and see and run into people while I'm doing that. Yeah. And I think that, that that's where the balance is struck. And it's weird because like I said, on the one hand, this program is you get out of it what you put in, but at the same time, you're right. Like being able to uh, kind of maybe separate some of the work that you're getting, some of the practical um, information in terms of, um, okay, this is what X, Y, Z is and, and separating that from, you know, being able to watch the games and have that different experience and not maybe try to cram, cram it all in and have to compartmentalize each one would have been more conducive to like a full, more holistic experience in that way. But like, given what it was, it was really good. You know what I mean? Like, I still think um, like, you know, price like, what I'd say what, 3,500, like somewhere in that zone, depending on like, you know, when you sign up and whatever the case may be. Um, and, you know, for some, that might be a daunting price for sure. For me, uh, if it was, I would say I would 100% do it again, actually, if you did have more freedom to, um, you know, step out when you wanted to. Because in that case, for me, you're still getting great. You're still paying. So the money's still going to the program. You also are getting your hotel covered. You know, all you got to do is really worry about travel there and back. You still get access to the game. So you still have that. And then you have more freedom now to watch the games at a certain time. So, like, you're really not losing there. And for me, yeah, if you compare that up the cost of going independently, you know, you could probably get a little cheaper for sure if you go independently. But, you know, how much is that cost and planning factor? How much do you weigh? And for me, I consider, you know, the sports business classroom experience a better one if that option was available. Like, if I were to do it again to do the exact same, like, experience again, probably not. I think, you know, twice now, you kind of get the hang of it. Um, and, you know, I can always hang with the instructors later or after hours or whatever. But to balance the best of both worlds, that can open up a tire ring for returning students or whatever, or at least people like me who is like, hey, you know, all I got to do is come in and, you know, I get to listen to my favorite courses and, you know, do the practice and whatever and also enjoy the games and stuff. That'd be amazing. Yeah. So how did you feel about the, you know, the the digs you guys were set up with at the link? And, uh, of course, they uh, the they bring you the transportation to take you from the link to the Thomas and Mac and back. Mm -hmm. And when, when I took the class, we were at the Palms place. And I remember that being absolutely fantastic. I actually got, uh, when, when you arrived, I was able to meet up with you and, and get a look at your room. And uh, it's funny. I didn't, I didn't mention this to you uh, at the time because I didn't want you to, to get this impression in your head for the week. Mm -hmm. but, uh, I, you know, I took an Uber over to the link and the driver was telling me as he was driving me off, he's like the link, great location, bad hotel. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you keeping that to yourself, sir. Although I found out myself later and I agree completely. Um, to be fair, to be fair, oh, once I'm gonna stand up for. To be fair, for a second, it was um, it was interesting because, you know, even Larry and, and everyone from Sportsman's Classroom said they usually use the Springs. This one was they only use this hotel as a backup option because you know the Springs was still closed. With that being said, I hope they never go back to it again. It was not the low. Like, the first day was fine. The next day, my lights didn't work, so I ended up having to get dressed and brush oh. my teeth and everything in the dark. Oh my, which I was not a fan of. So I made my, you know, opinion known to the front desk and they said, Oh, you have to just click the surge light and then it'll come back on. And I was like, Oh, there was no sign or anything telling me I had to do that. So that sucked. Did that. And it was fine. And then I come in next day, you know, use some towels, left them on the floor as advised, you know, to get it cleaned and picked up. And it turns out come back at night and my towel's still on the floor and the room's still a wreck. I went, well, whoa, 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 what happened? 
They don't clean it unless you tell them to. Well, I have no time basically to tell you to clean my room every day when I'm rushing around, you know, getting from SBC at a certain time, going back early in the morning. So then I realize, okay, got to conserve these last four towels and such and make it last. Don't be, not, not that I'm just being willfully dirty, but basically keep it like a house. Like, you better plan ahead to clean up a little bit because this is your room. Then the Wi-Fi. Oh, my gosh, the Wi-Fi. So <laughs> use the Wi-Fi. And the way the Wi-Fi was worded, it was like, okay, two devices. And I got it said 15 bucks. And I thought that meant, like, if I use more than two devices, I have to pay 15 bucks. I use the Wi-Fi maybe four days. Go to check out. And I'm being charged 75 bucks. And I went, well, I'm being charged 75 bucks. It's $15 to connect to the Wi-Fi. But they didn't list that. So, of course, when we had to pay 75 bucks, I'm not a happy camper. I mean, all in all, I was not a happy camper at the link. It just, it, well, no, no, no. I, I just, no. It wasn't a fan. It wasn't a fan. That being said, I had a little wave of nostalgia leaving. and But that's just the post-trip blues, you know what I mean? Uh, and if they scheduled me at the link again, yeah, maybe I'd know better and I'd be able to be better prepared. But I would never willingly sign myself up for that hotel. I was, no. There was too many, no. Yeah, I, I ended up staying at the Four Points by Sheraton, which was about a mile from the Thomas and Mac, and it was a, it was a fine hotel, but didn't have a fridge, which was annoying. And uh, also, at least one had that. <laughs> similar to similar to what you were saying it was, yeah, you had to you had to give them basically twenty four hours notice if you wanted them to come and and provide the the maid service. Uh, which which is a strange concept to me because basically ninety five percent of my all of my previous hotel experiences involve you've got a little uh, you've got a little card that you stick on the door that you say if if you if you want it you say please come and if not exactly. do not disturb uh, pretty simple concept that I thought was a universal hotel thing but apparently not in Las Vegas it's insane it didn't make any sense to me. Like, you're right. Like, give us an option where you can breeze by and see. There was no such option presented. Yeah. So we were at the mercy of whatever. And in this case, we just were out of luck in terms of having a clean room, which is ridiculous, you know? Especially when you're paying the amount you're paying and a certain extent of that goes to the hotel. So, yeah, I feel like they could have done a lot better. I don't fault sports with the class. They were trying to rebound and get as much rooms and everything available. But the hotel venue as it is... No, they have a lot of things to change their policy. I was not a fan. Um, they had a fridge, at least, you know, and I enjoyed your child-covered pretzels as a gift. That was an amazing gift, by the way. So I appreciate that, but that was it. Aside from that, there's not much I have to share good about that room. Yeah, and uh, I won't name names, but someone that we're both aware of that has been involved with SBC was was uh, talking about the hotel and, and one of his experiences where he, uh, he came back to his room at, at one point in the night and... As you said, nothing seemed to be cleaned or whatever. But then he looked in his sink, and there was a black sort of sludge Ew. in the sink. And uh, yeah, that was uh, that was one of the more grody things I'd heard uh, in oh, the time. But yeah, um, it uh, <laughs> yeah, it sounds like hopefully you know that I remember when I took the class, they did like a post class survey. I assume they did something similar or a planning. Oh yeah, we're gonna get one. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I would hope that they listen to the students and I would guess that a lot of them would say, yeah, wasn't, wasn't the biggest fan of the hotel accommodations this year. No, that, that probably gets the lowest marks for me. And, you know, I'm glad they'll take the feedback and use it. And like they said, it wasn't their first choice. So I hope it won't be their second or third next year, but, um, that's just for the sake of the future, future guests. Uh, actually, I guess for myself too. So <laughs> yeah, no, I'd rather not. <laughs> 
Well, and I just had a few more comments about sort of my summer league experience as well. And uh, I ended up, you know, I was basically there for a little less than a week. I was there six nights and uh, went to went to summer league four times, and then also took a couple of days just to, you know, do some Vegas stuff, hit up some restaurants I wanted to try and everything. But uh, yeah, summer league was 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 really fun. Got to meet a bunch of a bunch of great people and uh, hang out with some people that I knew prior. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll mention a few guys, Justin Matcham, who you, you hooked me up with great Justin. Be, uh, a, a fantastic guy, really fun guy to, to hang with and, and spend time with. And Stuart Zahn, who, uh, who just got a new gig today, which is exciting. Uh, but uh, to him. Um, yeah, it was really fun, fun chatting with him and got to meet up with uh, Evan Zaucha uh kalita taylor oh, you man. mentioned simon Gordon. yep you know just I, yeah I, I could i could go on and on and i i did a whole twitter thread uh thanking a lot of the people that i met up with but uh obviously that element is is really awesome at one point i just was walking down the hallway and there was that sort of podcast booth area which i think you for sbc did a couple of of uh shows in there I did. A lot of fun. I had the pleasure slash privilege. I had both to be able to come up there and contribute and, and be a part of that. And I had a lot of fun doing it. Um, two separate, like one was just about the experience and one was like reflecting on our own midseason moves that we did in our practicum uh, for SBC. Both were tremendous experiences. But honestly, that booth is used for like The Ringer and Mark Jackson's show. It's a tremendous addition. I think, I mean, we might have to go live next year. <laughs> Yeah, if they if they invite us, sure. If if Duncan Dynasty blows up in the next, uh, oh, I mean, listen, you uh, never say never. That'd be that'd be something <laughs> else, you know. Bring on yeah. some guests. They'll have us in for a deep dive of a classic summer league game. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I was going to mention one of the times I was just walking down the halls, and honestly, at, at times like when there wasn't, uh, you know, if I had seen enough of a particular game, I would just walk the halls hoping to run into somebody. That's um, the best, man. But uh, at one point, I, I walked past that podcast booth, and the Athletic NBA show was on with Mo Dockhill and Seth Partnow, and they had Nate Duncan on as a guest. And I'm like, well, I would listen to this anyway, so I'm just going to stand here and watch him do it. And I was cool for just about the whole episode. And uh, that's dope, man. But uh, yeah, the, those are the kind of really cool, really cool experiences that you get. I know my first year when I went to summer league, uh, that this was in 2017. I got to walk and have like a prolonged chat with Zach Lowe at one point. Uh, you, you never know who you might run into at, because, of course, a, a whole bunch of the, the NBA community is there all at the same time. But, uh, yeah, if, uh, if, you, if anyone's listening that hasn't gone to Summer League before that is a big fan of, of, this, episode, or of this podcast and of the NBA in general, like, yeah, I, I can't recommend it enough. It is a really neat uh, sort of communal experience. I would agree a hundred percent. It clearly is. And you have a lot of fun doing it. And I mean, you get, it's, it's just getting the most out of it. You know, I think it's a, it's an absolute blast and uh, highly recommended. Well, Corbin, let's, let's get into uh, our discussion on Russell Westbrook. And I know before we, we recorded this, you mentioned that you, you uh, didn't get a ton of time to prep for this. Uh, I didn't really either. We both are still sort of, uh, trying to recover from our, it's a our, mess, man. our weekend. Yes. So we can keep this relatively short. This will just be sort of an appetizer to, uh, to our discussion on Russell Westbrook. We can do a, a part two, part three, part 10 uh, later on down the line. We will. We will. Uh, 
<laughs> but uh, I, uh, I I wanted to start with just sort of talking about, and, and we've broken this down a little bit when we did last year, we talked about our high school basketball experience and what we loved to love about the game and that sort of thing. We talked about this a little bit, but one of the things I wanted to get into is just like why you have, you know, become so fond of, of Russell Westbrook over the years. And I've kind of gone in the opposite direction where I'm kind of sick of him <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, and and sort of why that is, and and if that's some sort of a basketball philosophy thing, if that's just you know what we enjoy when we watch. But one of the things I remember we discussed is as players, is I was more of the you know I was not and still am not the greatest athlete in the world, so I was heavily reliant on you know putting in the hours, working on my ball handling, working on my shooting. Uh, you know, focusing on the fundamentals. And so I think just through that and through my experience as a player, I've become more inclined to like guys like Steph Curry and Larry Bird, those guys that are heavily reliant on skill. And and obviously, you know, to, to make it in the NBA, you have to have, you have to be born with some, some great athleticism, hand-eye coordination and stuff. And there are different forms of athleticism, but but still, it feels like Russell Westbrook is the very sort of polar opposite of what I was as a player, where he is, it's just, it's speed, it's explosion, it's quickness, it's, you know, vertical ability. And he came into the league, he wasn't a very good passer, and he sort of almost robotically developed his passing by saying, okay, if this guy comes off, I'll hit the roller. Okay, and event once I've perfected that read, now I'll start to figure out, okay, they cut off the roller. I can hit the weak side corner. It, it, it doesn't, his game doesn't feel like, oh, he's just a natural. What, what was the, the Twitter thing they were saying? A Hooper versus a, a basketball player. Yeah. Hooper versus basketball player. I, I assume he would be more of the, what, what would he be in that situation? I don't, I, I feel like a Hooper, like the dude just balls. Like he just does. I think uh, here's the thing. I, I get into all these, arguments and discussions with Russell Westbrook and I have to give a shout out to thinking basketball because thinking basketball did an amazing feature on Russell Westbrook, maybe a year or two ago in showcasing that Russell Westbrook is a skilled player, but that the process with which he does it is what drives people crazy. Um, and like one of those saying that Russell Westbrook can make, I mean, he starts off by saying that Russell Westbrook can make any pass in the book and he showcases Russell Westbrook making a variety of, great reads but then he showcases that he makes every pass in the book because he tries every pass in the book and then he shows him making the same passes that are just woefully out of bounds or whatever and i feel like people focus on one or focus on the other but that you don't get a full look at russell westbrook and i think that as someone who is a big fan of nba twitter and well no it's not true someone who likes nba twitter as a big fan of basketball in the community, I feel that Russell Westbrook is like the poster child for those who want to pick on what's wrong with basketball in terms of like not being analytically sound and not being, you know, the greatest decisions and not this and that and overlook, you know, the tremendous uh, success that he has had through his career, just in general. I mean, taking teams that weren't supposed to make the playoffs into the playoffs, even while people want to bag on his first round exits, you know, um, achieving all these things that couldn't be done, even while people then go, well, it's triple double and how arbitrary is that? Like they turned the argument into something totally different instead of giving the respect that it deserves. And I feel like my Russell Westbrook fandom wouldn't be as 
strong as it is if I didn't feel like people would keep using straw arguments against him. And so that's where she was like, yes, he's a horrible shooter for someone who keeps shooting. You know what I mean? And yeah. I, in fact, I asked um, Kirk Goldsberry um, of uh, Sprawl Ball. I said, why is Russell Westbrook a bad shooter? In fact, I asked him that question. I asked a question to Tommy Shepard about Russell Westbrook. Basically, if you know Russell Westbrook, I asked a question about him. Um, um, and Tommy Shepard was hilarious. He, was, he answered, because I, I wasn't the only one who asked about him. And he's like, Russell Westbrook stands. I'm sorry we traded your favorite play. <laughs> like... <laughs> It, it was hilarious um but um i'm just in, i'm just envisioning you now at sbc like literally 80 percent of your questions were based on russell westbrook oh they were they were i was upset that russell westbrook was always in kirk goldsbury's cold zone even while understanding that he was in there because he doesn't shoot well but i didn't know why he didn't shoot well and mind you you know goldsbury said we'd like to ask him again in the year and um, dave dufour gave a very interesting answer as to why he might be a bad shooter um, just not in the form, but just repetition of it. But anyway, going back to it, I just feel like he gets way too bad a rap for someone that's done as much as he is. I feel like in years to come, we'll appreciate him more. And I'm like, why? Why not throw him as far as down? But that doesn't seem to be the vibe that everyone's on. And that's why I stand out. That, that's my own personal philosophy. Yeah. Well, and I completely agree with you and, and of course, Ben Taylor with Thinking Basketball. I believe I did watch that video you're referencing. It's a great one. He, I'm gonna send it to you again. And I, I yeah, I, 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 will, I will say that I feel like that is something that he didn't come into the league with that sort of passing skill set. It was again something that he had to develop. It wasn't he's he wasn't a natural passer like a Larry Bird or a Magic Johnson, where those guys had all the passes in the book right from the get go. He very much was okay. Um, you know, oh, I'm, I'm this great athlete. I'm getting by my guy. I'm getting into the rim. I'm drawing in the defense and slowly over years of repetition of doing that over and over again, figuring out what the right reads are and adding, adding maybe an additional read every year for his first five or six years in the NBA to the point where, yes, now he's making all of those reads. Um, it is, uh, it is fascinating, though, the whole idea of whether or not he'll be appreciated more later than he is than he is currently. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the way I sort of have have always felt about Russell Westbrook was that he was most assuredly a top 10 level player for maybe four or five years in those mid 2010s. Um but uh, I feel like a lot of people, even in his MVP year, would say he was like one of the top two or three players in the league. I was never, never that high on him. Uh, in fact, I, uh, I, I picked James Harden in 2017 to win the MVP over us. Blasphemy. Which we can get into if you want. Uh, now, I, that's why I'm going to my research too, but absolutely, we're going to have to. Because I, anyway, yes. Okay. <laughs> but uh but yeah, like he was, he was most definitely a top 10 player. He was a deserving all NBA guy for a, a good chunk of years there. Um, but also one of the issues I have with the basketball discourse, and it's funny, you mentioned that some of the, the discourse almost made you sort of dig your heels in defending him. I was the opposite where a lot of the discourse praising him made me dig my heels in more to, to fight back against it. Um, cause you know, you, you get a lot of the talk about, oh, he's averaging a triple double and all these counting stats. And how can the guy that puts up these numbers not be, uh, you know, this level of player. 
And the way I look at it also, and again, from, from somebody that is watching the game, not just staring at the ball the whole time, I'm watching off ball actions. I'm watching how guys spotting up, how they impact the game and what their gravity is. When you're defending a shooter off the ball and you space, you get, you space out and lose track of him and he gets an open shot. I feel like Russell Westbrook, for you know, for all of the stuff where the camera is focused in on the ball, he looks great because he's making all these highlight reel plays with his dribble, getting to the rim, dunking on people, making these nice passes. And then defensively, he's strong. He can hold up when when he's guarding the guy on the ball and the camera's focused on him. He looks pretty good. But anytime he's off the ball on both ends, you start to notice, oh, yeah, there are some major issues with this guy as a player. I mean, I, I think that there's some – he could play harder. I will say that. Here's the, here's the thing. When you just – that comment you just made, I feel like one of the big things about discourse on Russell Westbrook online is that, oh, he plays so hard. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, when he has the ball, he plays – he, like, <laughs> runs really hard with it. But well, I feel that – yeah. I, uh, there are some moments where he's definitely, you know, relaxing and and – you know, there are there are some excuses you can make for that, given his workload at times. But but, yeah, or, it's, it's a thing. I would say given his workload or the fact that the same type of issues don't. I mean, James Harden didn't get more engaged defensively, but the narrative stopped on him about him. He's still lazy off ball at times as well. It just it was years where it was talked about. And then people just stopped talking about it. It's still a thing. It's like I feel like people pick and choose who they want off ball. Like you get some dependent off ball defenders that are. Just, you know, dogged no matter what. But granted, some of the stars you see on the floor are, you know, they take breaks off, especially those who have higher offensive loads. And I feel that the detractors for Russell Westbrook on the defensive side of the ball are only there because they're tired of hearing about how hard he plays on the offensive side of the ball in comparison to other stars. But if you look at them, they're all doing the exact same thing. It's like, oh, well, look at him here on this side. Well, look at Harden. Look at what? Look at well, LeBron. Look at Trey Young. Look at any of them. They're all doing the same thing. But they're people because people are so tired of hearing about Westbrook playing hard. They have to point at what everyone else who has a large offensive load is doing. Now, granted, Westbrook does fall asleep a ton of ball, and he also does this thing where if he doesn't respect you as a shooter, he'll let you shoot, whether or not that respect is is founded or not. I mean, and I look, I think it goes both ways because on the one hand. He does that, and it's like, bro, why are you doing that? Like, that guy can shoot the ball, but Westbrook doesn't believe he can. At the same time, Westbrook for years was still defended as a shooter, even though his shooting has been pretty bad for years. It wasn't until, like, just over the last two or three years that people are like, oh, no, you really need to shoot the ball. Like, we really don't care. But it took years for that to to detract. He's never been a great outside shooter. His best shooting from three was 34% in 2017. But for years, you know, players would defend him as if he would make that shot. It wasn't until over the past couple of teams with Houston and here with Washington um, that teams have just said, oh, yeah, you can take that, whatever. So I feel like it works both ways in that case. But, again, it's a knock on Westbrook, and I get it because he does take a lot of plays off on defense, even some that I I, I think maybe – some of his defense I think gets bad. I guess LeBron takes plays and other primary offensive initiators take more rest on on – on defense, but I feel like they're at least still engaged. Where I look at Westbrook as maybe almost as bad or almost as egregiously bad on the defensive end as James Harden is, in the sense of like, yeah, they're taking a break, but they're also not even pretending to be in the motion. 
Like, you know, if action comes their way, pick it up, tag anything, and they're just kind of just there. Um, or Westbrook does something where and he gambles a lot. So that's something that Harden does every once in a while. Westbrook does a lot better, and it's a lot more feast or famine. When he gets it, it's a breakaway steal, whatever the case may be. He's had a couple against, you know, teams he really gets up for, the Warriors, you know, Kevin Durant, guys like that, where defensively he can be a lot more on ball. And I think that makes it look even worse, too, when he is taking the break, because you, I think people realize, almost like a backhanded compliment, they realize what he can be on the defensive end, and they see what he is. And it is, I mean, even I can say there's there's a big difference. Right, and and for a player with his amount of experience, like, I, I think there are still people that say, well, if he, once he locks in, or if he locks in, it's like, it's, it's not happening at this point. He is who he is. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And I think that's what needs, that. that's where it's at. As, as a Russell Westbrook fan, I, I think I get more, I don't know, sometimes I get willfully ignorant, I call it, where I'm like, yeah, I know it's lost. And like, yeah, it's going to be interesting for me this year to kind of have, I was telling people at Summer League, to have this, um, this like, this like shift. Like, I was always good with, I haven't really, okay, I haven't always been a Russell Westbrook fan. I only became a Russell Westbrook fan the year that KD left. And that was because I thought, okay, he got an unfair rap. This, now he's going to get all the blame for KD leaving. When people forget that KD stuck on the floor, not only most of the playoffs, but also specifically that, that last series against Golden State. We need to do a deep dive on that series, by the way. But anyways, Absolutely. like people, instead of looking at Kevin Durant, and now people are starting to do that now because it's easy. Again, the narrative shifts the other way. But instead of looking at Kevin Durant back then, they're looking at Russell Westbrook and, oh, he chased him away. He's this, that, the other, whatever the case may be. And I was like, you know what? I don't like that. And that became my guy. And it just so happened that he responded with a deserving MVP year, um, just achieving statistical boundaries in general blowing past the competition yes the team was bad but like people tend to look at this uh, ah, we again a discussion for another time i'm opening the window to this uh making chicken salad out of chicken stuff as far as supporting cast is concerned um he became my guy from that year on and <laughs> i just have been the biggest supporter since then but i have realized the warts you know i have become more aware of like all right listen like defensively takes breaks off listen for someone who really can't shoot or at least in the volume like he can make a three but if you can only make one out of every five threes maybe you should take one or two again instead of four or five again you know certain things that russell isn't going to do but i also feel like some of the improvements russell's had he has to fight for everything the rebounds he's one of the great rebounding guards of our time oh he steals rebounds okay he's been on team with no center then he's still getting rebounds then what oh well they had to change the team to get around to him like he's a rebounding guard like, that's just what it is. And people have been trying to find things around that for years. You know what I mean? Teams' offense is getting better when he's on the floor. Teams overachieving when he's there. Like, Bradley Beals had pretty much the same roster for three years. This year, he had a different roster, and they were more injured, and they still made the playoffs. Like, yes, Russell Westbrook is not solely to blame for them going up that way, but I'll be danged if he's not a big reason why. I mean, I mean, it's just like people, it's a narrative that just annoys me so much about him. And yes, like, his flaws are there, but because I can't even have a balanced Russell Westbrook argument on Twitter, I have to lean, or at least I feel I have to, lean on the other end. And I know some Russell Westbrook fans I follow on Facebook and Twitter who are so on that end. I'm like, bro, like, okay, I get it. But, like, he is not, like, there was a guy, I'm not going to name names. This wasn't on Twitter, so he wouldn't know him anyway. But he was like, yeah, Russell Westbrook, pound for pound, is a better point guard than Steph Curry. And I was like, pause. Like, no, he's not. You know, like, I love Russell Westbrook as a player, and I don't like Steph Curry too much. But, like, come on. You know what I mean? I mean it's just... Yeah, there's, there's stuff like that all the time that, that, again, makes me dig my heels in as, like, a 
you know, a, uh, a quote unquote Westbrook hater, even though again, yeah, I, I don't hate him. I just, you know, he's not my favorite type of player. And yeah, I feel like the discourse leans too heavily in his favor. Um, and well, whose favor? In, in Westbrook's favor. I mean, oh, I no, it does both, not. People are both. bagging on him all off season. You, you show me these, you, you know, you show me these positive reports, Garrett, because from dunked on to Yahoo sports, I am not seeing it. And trust me, I want to see it. Well, yeah, you're not going to get, I mean, yeah, I agree. Not on dunked on, but oh, well, I'm, I'm giving an example from like the most straight on analysis basketball to the more general analysis. I'm not seeing the Westbrook love. I only see it from like the fans on Twitter who represent sadly some of the worst in terms of fans on Twitter. Like it seems like mainstream loves to hate on a guy and Westbrook has been that guy for years. Well, I mean, how about, how about just, this as an example, how about um, some of his more recent all NBA appearances? I mean, just in 2017, 18. So the season after his MVP year where Chris Paul was the second best player on the Houston Rockets who won 65 games. Chris Paul did not make an all NBA team and Westbrook made the second team. There's um, there's, there's plenty of cases in 2019, 20 Westbrook made the, uh, the all NBA third team. Chris Middleton didn't make it at all. Despite, I believe going 50, 40, 90 or getting like very close to doing that for another team that was uh, on pace to win like nearly 60 games. So yeah, there's to me, it's, it's been a lot of, Oh, he's, he's getting, you know, certainly in his MVP year, he, he was a first-team All-NBA caliber player. The year before that, when the Thunder made the Western Conference Finals, he was he was a All-NBA caliber player. There were a few years there, but some of the more recent seasons and also some of the early Westbrook seasons before he was even close to becoming the, the triple-double guy that he is now, I feel like that he was overrated by the NBA, NBA voters. There was There's also been just a ton of discussion about him just being better than Chris Paul in the all-time rankings, which I think is absolutely ludicrous. I mean, listen, that's a conversation I'll argue because I think he is, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I think that's leaning too far one direction. I will say this about the All-NBA teams. Um, 2019, I wouldn't put him on one. I feel like I watched every – I watched 2017, 18, 19 of Russell Westbrook seasons more than anyone else. I feel like 2019, he kind of just, like, manufactured that triple-double. You know, it didn't feel as organic as the other two. Um, and I felt like it was more okay. Now, if it was any year that that would have been like successful, like anomaly or whatever, like, oh, it just happened. And that would have been it. Um, however, as far as 2019, 2020, I think he had a great year. Um, I think that people, I mean, for someone who played with injury he had and a great then three months, he had a great three months. Well, those three months were electric. <laughs> those three months, those three months were better than, I mean, Chris Middleton kind of sleepwalks his way to that. And I'm sure 50, 40, 90, when a wide open spot of jumpers is something you can do. I mean, that Bucks team, um, after the way they flamed out, I don't feel bad about that. I feel that some of that is on the voters. All right. All of like, is a regular season award, Corbin. The playoffs and guess what? And I feel like Russell Westbrook. If we're going to bring in the playoffs as far as then they're not deserving, I think Westbrook would lose about four or five of his All right. Maybe you're awards. right. Maybe you're right. I mean, here's the thing Westbrook wouldn't have lost anything from. Um, Westbrook wouldn't have lost anything from. Okay, let's look at the playoffs. 2020, he's injured. Not only COVID, but a quad injury playing against. The Los Angeles Lakers, never going to end well. Last year, again, shorthanded, 
Washington Wizards team that didn't have a small forward playing against Philadelphia 76ers. So that wasn't going to end well. Now, we get to 2019, 2018, 2017. Then we have more issues. 2017, actually, no, we don't. That team was not ready for Houston. They just weren't. They didn't have it. If you look at it, um, uh, Victor Oladipo completely disappeared. That was Russell Westbrook's closest thing to a co-star down the stretch. And you can say, oh, he needs the ball in his hands, whatever. He needs to make shots. He didn't. Nobody else did. And Russell wasn't the most efficient. He was the only one making shots on that team. So I'm going to take 2017, push it away. Now we got 2018, 2019. Now, 2018, 2019, I'm going to be objective. Yeah, that's on Russ. I feel like Portland was better, but the Thunder did not play well. Russell Westbrook in particular. Um, you had Chris Paul, I mean, uh, Paul George playing with two torn labrums. So that wasn't going to end well. Jeremy Grant was there, though. Stephen Adams was there. Like, you had a stronger Oklahoma City Thunder team that could have matched up better if Russell Westbrook played a better series than just showing up for game five, which he did, you know, um, or not game five, game four. That's what Westbrook did. Now in game against the series against Utah in 2018, Westbrook had two good games. I think him and Paul George had a great game one. And then of course, Russell Westbrook keyed that comeback in game five yeah. where they were down by like 33 or something. And he came back in one wild game. That was a wild game. Again, even that, like, Westbrook led that. That game, people were throwing the towel. If you looked on Twitter, and it got real quiet when it started heating up. But again, you know, people like to throw their heads to it because they lost the next game. But those two series, I will put on Russell Westbrook as saying, okay, your team was better or, or at least more competitive than to go out the way that they did. That's where I'm at on those two years. Uh, 2020, I'm not, I mean, come on, you're playing the Lakers, man. The Rockets were a fun team. The Lakers were the best. I, I just don't. And again, Russell Westbrook was not 100%. He wasn't 90%. If you watch the series, he wasn't even 80%. Didn't help. He still couldn't shoot and he couldn't get to the basket. So what is he doing? You know what I mean? Like that is a year that people bring up. And I'm like, what do you, what did you expect? This, what were you looking for? Yeah. And then 2021, take that times two. You're the AFC to Washington Wizards. You barely had a roster. Should have been there to begin with. What do you expect? That's where I'm at on Russell Westbrook with the playoff arguments. Now, again, 2018, 2019, you got that. Anything before that with KD? I don't know. But 2017 is funny to me because, and me, I think me and you had this discussion already about the Rockets and the Thunder. We had to go revisit that and how their offenses were and this and that and the other and who had more help and who did more of less and whatever the case may be, either you or somebody else. Maybe you had it with, I've had this argument a couple times. Anyways, the point being, no, I think I had it with somebody else. Jeez Louise. Anyways. My argument is that that Rockets team was just better. If you look at the, and I have, if you look at um, the playoff predictions from then, the Rockets were favored to win. They did what they were supposed to do. I just, I, I just don't look at that in terms of, I don't look at it as a major knock on Westbrook for being on inferior subpar teams or being not hundred percent himself. And if you take two years out of six years that he had first round exits, all of a sudden, that's not that bad, to be honest with you. <laughs> like, if you look at it and you're like, okay, he's at six first. That sounds horrible. Oh, my gosh. Like, yeah, he's bad. And you look at it and you're like, oh, okay, well, two years you messed up. All right. Harden's had that. You know, you look at LeBron's had one just recently last year, and you can pick that apart, too, with injuries. Like, I just feel like, again, the narrative for Russell Westbrook is so skewed. It's not objective. And, and I'm the best we have. Okay, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean. Well, uh, like we said earlier, we'll we'll do a more a deep dive on the 2017 MVP race in that series as well. But yeah. I'll just quickly state that yes, I agree. The Rockets team was 
was better, but I do not think it was a significant gap between the talent that Harden had. Again, reminder that Harden, this was before he had gotten a second star. This was prior to the Rockets getting Chris Paul. They didn't have P.J. Tucker at this point. It was really like Harden with his second and third best players was Eric Gordon and Clint It was after Dwight Howard. You had a team fit around. They they got rid of Dwight Howard for that reason. You had a team fit. That's the way Harden wanted to play. Like right, Harden had a saying, if you're talking about if you're talking about the talent differential, it's not like Harden was playing with a super team by any stretch of the imagination. Harden was pl- no, he was not playing with a super team. You're right, and it showed. Harden was playing with the better team for his specific skill set than Russell Westbrook was. Plenty of spacing, a rim rolling big. But, um, the defense, I'd say, the Thunder had an edge on actually. Um, the Thunder's defense yeah. was pretty good back then. Well, and that's, aside- what, that's what I would say with prime Russell Westbrook. I know. I know obviously you want more you, with with every one of those Thunder teams, you would want more shooting around Westbrook. Uh, I'd want with the early Thunder teams without with post KD, I would want any shooting around Westbrook. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I get what you mean. Like when he got Paul George, that was significantly better. But when you have your best shooter shooting 33% from three, Victor Oladipo, that's your best. Yeah, you're, you're not winning a lot. You have a lineup of Tosh Gibson and Steven Adams. Jeremy Grant hadn't gotten the three ball yet. Doesn't matter because he's starting Andre Roberson. We saw how he was then. Victor Oladipo coming off the bench again. Jeremy Grant, Samaj Kristen, got Norris Cole. Like I look up and down his roster, I'm like, how? How are you getting 100 points? Yeah, you know I mean, what I mean. I, like I can never, I can never have any rebuttal when you you bring up uh, Christian. <laughs> he was not an NBA was, caliber player. No, the, the and he thing- was playing minutes. He had to. Yeah, the one thing the, mm-hmm. the one thing I will say though is I think, you know, when it comes to prime Russell Westbrook, you know, that period between 2015 to 2017, mm-hmm. he was a guy that I think his best skill was lifting your offense to an average level by himself. I think that was probably his greatest um, co- contribution as a star player. I know so, that. To, to have a team that was dominant defensively and a dominant offensive rebounding team around that specific player, I think that actually makes some sense. Now, I understand they probably could have been a better than average offense if they had some shooting, any shooting, as you stated. But I do think having that defense that was elite, that got Westbrook into transition frequently, and also having that dominant offensive rebounder in Steven Adams for every time Westbrook is getting into the paint, getting to the bucket. Those two things in particular, I think, are, are really suitable for, for Russ's skill set. But, uh, you know, I digress. We, we again, we'll probably get into that 2017 conversation at a later date. Oh, I can't wait. Can't um, wait. We're going to have to dive deep. I can't wait. But, yeah, the, uh, the Westbrook playoff numbers, not very strong. I've got him here. Uh, career playoff average of 40.8% from the field, 44.1% from two-point range, 29.6% from three. And I think another thing that maybe gets uh, overrated a little bit because you see all of these crazy highlights of him finishing around the rim and getting to the basket all the time is he's not as elite of a finisher at the basket as I think his reputation suggests. The, the best season of his career finishing at the hoop was actually this past season at, uh, at 65%. Um, but for most of his career in Oklahoma City, he was between 55 and 63% finishing at the rim. 
And, you know, you compare it to, I know these guys are, are bigger players in like a LeBron James and a Giannis Antetokounmpo, those guys that are considered, oh, they just are relentless attacking the basket. Those guys got there upwards of, in, in 2019, I was looking this up, Giannis attempted 66% and he made 76%. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that that's another thing, you know, Westbrook, for his career, career high 42% from mid-range for any particular season. So he's never been even like an average mid-range shooter, never been even, I guess, other than his MVP year, an average three-point shooter. And despite his ability to get to the rim pretty frequently for a guard, the the conversion rate is is not as high as maybe, again, the highlights would, would make you think. I get you on that. I mean, the finishing at the rim, listen. You mentioned Giannis and LeBron. It must be fun being 6'9", 6'11", not 6'3". You know, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i just going to say that. Like, yeah, you know, a little bit of a difference there. Finish him on the trees when you are one of them. But as far as the mid-range and the three, I have to concede, especially when Russ takes as many as he does. Um, mid-range shot, actually, I mean, looking at him, again, I have to look at the numbers because I don't have them in front of me. Uh, I feel like that was a shot that was uh, not an efficient shot for him, but definitely a lot better than it is now. Um, yeah, like his uh, his 2015-16 season, again, probably the best season the Thunder had with the, with the Durant and Westbrook. I guess they did make the finals in 2012, but I think maybe that 15-16 team was even better despite not making the finals. Uh, yeah, I would was, agree. That, that was his best year from the mid-range where he shot 42%. There you go. Okay. See that. And that would have been, that would have been a solid year. I think that um, aside from that, it's just been kind of, it's kind of been rough. It's kind of been rough. Yeah. I, um, I was looking at cleaning the glass to determine, you know, to get some of these numbers and yeah, I kind of wish cleaning the glass numbers went back to like the Kevin Johnson days of the Suns. I'm thinking of like, okay, who are the, who are the point guards that just relentlessly attack the basket to sort of compare. Um, and, and now I'm thinking, Oh yeah, let's take a look at, uh, like, um, for instance, Derek Rose and see what his uh, what his numbers are in terms of his rim accuracy. And, yeah, it looks like he's around similar numbers as Westbrook. I think Rose's MVP year, he shot 58 percent at the rim, which is similar to what a lot of Westbrook seasons have been. Okay. Uh, and then as far as rim frequency, Westbrook got to the basket 49 percent of the time in Houston, which was a career high. But outside of that, it's been more in the kind of the low 40s to even high 30s percentiles of his of his attempts. Uh, that's even that deep dive was interesting. Yeah, kind of going and comparing and seeing. And yeah, I just think, again, a lot of it, I think Houston, I mean, it, it's no surprise to me that Houston had the way that they did because they had a lot of spacing. You know, it was tailor made to a team with Russ and maybe. In fact, I'll let you bring and I'll bring it up just to get ahead of it. I'm like, I'll let you bring this up as an argument. I think that. The problem with Russell Westbrook is that his style is conducive to a team that you build around him. But the problem is that he's not that good a player for you to morph your entire team into. And that'll be my own argument. Like he's on a team right now. And I don't, it's going to be interesting to see how it works out with the Lakers where probably where he should be second to third, third best player. Um, you know, if you could be your second on a certain couple nights, great. If you be your first for like a couple nights, great, but he's not somebody that you build that around just because it's not his, this is not, we, we've seen the heights that he can go. It's great individual success, decent team success, and ultimately a hard stop. And I think with Houston, he had a lot of success there. 
because again, the team was was in midseason figured around to me in a great three months where he had the most spacing he's had in his career, which tells you a lot because that Houston team was okay shooting him through, but they weren't great at it. Like they had greater Houston three-point shooting seasons before, you know? So just to show what a modicum of space and not having a big man could do for us, the amazing three months he had and still how it finished. So I think some of that just goes to show you where it's at among the heights you can get with him as your sole guy. And unfortunately, that, that's just not his game. And that's not, that's no sign on him. You know what I mean? Like people hold it against, not everyone's a LeBron James. Not everyone's uh I don't even think James Harden's that guy. Uh, Kevin Durant. Uh, offense unto them, not an offense unto themselves, like a team unto themselves. You build around, you're going place. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and that's the, that's the big challenge I have. And maybe part of the reason why I'm a little bit lower on him in terms of the, the rankings and in today's NBA and all time ranks, obviously is the idea that, yeah, he's, I mean, in his, at his absolute peak, yeah, he was probably a very good number two to Durant. I, I you know, that team again in 2016 was, I think a championship caliber team, even though they didn't win a championship. Oh, hundred um, percent. But uh, like now you're talking about Westbrook. Now he's not only not good enough to be a one or a two, but then you mentioned on this Lakers team, he's a three. And I question his ability to scale up or down at this point and, and play a lesser role and, and still have the same level of impact that you would want him to have given his limitations as an off ball player uh, on, on the offensive end. But I, I'm hopeful. I mean, obviously, you could tell. I'm hoping that um, it'll be a great test case this year for sure. I feel like every year we we talk about, oh, it's a great great test case to determine how good Russell Westbrook actually is. No, and, I, and you're right, 100. percent That's exactly what's going to be. And the funny thing about it for me that I'm laughing at is that um, as a Russell Westbrook fan and a Lakers fan, I've always been able to separate the two. I root for Russell Westbrook, knowing he's going to finish first round more likely, but, you know, a team that's clearly inferior, but like his success or failure is separate from my own teams. Rooting for Russell Westbrook, hope he goes far, okay, he's out, he's still my guy. Lakers, let's go all the way. But now that they're intertwined, I can't take as many luxuries as I would like for Russell Westbrook being my guy, because now... I need him to play the way he should, the way I know that he should, but I've let him play because your success directly impacts my own team success. And so now I was like, before, okay, Russ, I wish you didn't take those jumpers, but like, all right, you know, you're on the Wizards. Where now I was like, Russ, you need to step up right now, bro, because right now, like, we need to make the finals. And like, it's going to be a weird dichotomy in terms of like measuring expectation with like what it is now, you know? And I'm intrigued to see how I respond to that um, because I have no idea right now, but I've definitely been thinking about like, wow, like, I, I will make a confession. I was hoping he wasn't traded to my Lakers. Interesting. I, love I know we, we had a whole we had a whole podcast where you were uh, on the defense about Westbrook to the Lakers and how it would work. So that was all. Was that all just a front? <laughs> That's listen, and it will remain that way. I will never turn. We could have a horrible year. Mark my words, and you will know this. They say no cap. This is if I'm backing up Russell Westbrook. And we have a flame out year, 100% cap. And I don't care. <laughs> That's just the burden I put on myself. Like, these, this is the cross I bear. Do I like it? No. Do I have a choice? No. This is, this is, this is where I'm at. <laughs> but I didn't want to have to deal with, like, if they win a championship, kumbaya, everything's great. But for me right now, the chances of that, with the chances of failure and having to point the finger at Russell Westbrook inevitably, is a lot to deal with. I'm not ready for it. 
but I, I don't. I think it's going to work. So I don't think it'll be that bad. I think it's going to work. You heard it here first. Corbin will blame Kendrick Nunn before he'll blame Russell Westbrook. I will blame every other signing. I'll go for Vogel. I'll go for Vogel. I don't even care. I'll say Vogel didn't get the most out of Russell Westbrook. The blueprint's been done. I'm basically telling you my argument right now, Garrett. Book it. Uh, it will be not objective at all unless he stinks the complete bet. But, like, when he came on, I was like, well, got to support him. You know what I mean? And, you know, what? shout out to Becca MVP. Becca MVP on Twitter. Followed over a couple years now. Becca was not a Westbrook fan, not a Westbrook fan. And I remember saying you would be lucky to have Westbrook. Well, no, I don't want Westbrook this and that. And then he got on the team and now she's a loyal defender. And part of that is that's what you do for your team. You defend the players. And then if they grow on you and make an impact, then you stay with them. You know, Westbrook's gone and she's still a Westbrook fan. Some Wizards fans are like, thank God he's gone. I don't have to defend him anymore. That's the difference between the fake fans and the real fans. <laughs> and I'm a real one, all right? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if that holds up when he blows a uh, playoff game, a key playoff game. Listen, <laughs> listen. Do not, I'm not even speaking that bad mojo into existence, my brother. All right, man. Well, this was, this was a lot of fun. We'll have to do a <laughs> part two on the 2017 MVP controversy, as I like to say it. Oh, wow. That's just disrespectful to the rightful MVP. We're going to go rehash everyone's MVP next. Oh, get out of here. But Corbin, <laughs> this, was, this was a heck of a lot of fun as always, man. Thanks, for, uh, thanks, thanks of course, for, for coming on and taking the time, my brother. Bro, thank you for always having me, my friend. You already know. <laughs> thanks so much for listening to Duncan Dynasty. Please, if you can, if you have a moment, go to iTunes and uh, give us a rating and review preferably five stars, and uh, if you could give any thoughts about what you like about the show, that would be much appreciated. We are also on Spotify, so uh, you can give us a rating on there as well. If you'd like to find some other content outside of this podcast, you can find me on Twitter, at Garrett Bougay. That's G-A-R-R-E-T-T-B-U-G-A-Y. I will be... uh, tweeting various uh, NBA thoughts as well as some some thoughts on some other uh, interests of mine including soccer and film and television so uh, if you're looking for some of my takes throughout the the course of the week you can find me there you can find my co-host Corbin Ford on Twitter at Corbin NBA that's C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A so uh, he uh, he does a does a good job on Twitter as well he's very active I'm also doing uh, some work as a contributor for Rip City Project, which uh, does all things Blazers. So if you're looking for some written content, you can check those websites out. Corbin also does his own pod on the side called NBA Today. Uh, he, uh, he does some, some fun work over there, so, so please, I encourage you to check that out. But uh, thanks so much again for, for listening, and have a great rest of your day. Leftovers or the DMV or house cleaning or 
Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. T plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of Ookla speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.